welcome to another bonus episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and for this episode, I'm joined by one of my closest and best friends, Tasha Hunter. If you don't already, Tasha is a woman you need to know, follow, and listen to. As a Black, queer, internal family systems therapist and a United States Air Force veteran, she primarily serves military, BIPOC women, and the LGBTQ community in her therapy practice. She's the author of her memoir, What Children Remember, and the host of her own podcast, When We Speak. If you've listened to past episodes with Tasha, you know she is so open and honest with sharing all parts of her story, from childhood sexual abuse to her layers of trauma and her attempted suicide. But one part of Tasha's story that she has never talked publicly about is her 10-year struggle with infertility. In this episode, Tasha opens up about this painful part of her story and her healing journey through it. She talks about coming to terms with forgiving her own mother while forgiving and loving herself in the process. We also talk about her own mothering experience with her bonus daughter and how she has healed from the pain of infertility. No matter if you are a mother or struggled with your own infertility, I know this conversation with Tasha is going to speak to you. So listen in to this powerful and vulnerable conversation with Tasha Hunter. Tasha, welcome back to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Hi, thank you. Hey. We've been on this podcast several times, but give a brief introduction, who you are, where you're living right now, what you do, all that. I am a Black queer woman. I am living out the, I feel like I am the the healing balm to my ancestral line. People often say, you know, like the, the term your ancestors greatest dream. I feel like I'm I'm that. I'm I'm the person that came along to say this is the end of the toxicity. This is the end of the the sickness, the trauma, it stops here. But besides that, professionally, for anybody that's listening, I'm a military veteran, an Air Force veteran. I'm a mental health therapist, an author, and a podcaster, yeah. and your best and you, friend. And yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and your book, What Children Remember, we talked about your story with that in our very first interview that people can go back and listen to if they didn't listen to that conversation where you share a lot of your your story about your trauma, your childhood, your own mother, your own family. And so when you just said that you're your ancestors healing bomb, that just gave me goosebumps because it's I know your story. And if people know your story, that's a powerful, powerful statement. Yeah. So the other part of your story, I guess not other part, it is your story with, with your mother and the trauma that you experienced from her is a reason there's two parts. There's a couple of reasons why you didn't participate in the series we did in black history month. Cause I know people heard you in it last year and probably were wondering like, wait, where's Tasha? And you were going to be in that lineup with those incredible women. The topic was black motherhood and you already discussed some hard parts of your story, but then you just kind of didn't get have the peace with it and felt like a one-on-one conversation might be better. So that's that's why we're here today. You have a lot of trauma from your own mother and then trauma from your journey with infertility. And that's something you haven't talked about. And that's something we're going to talk about today. Yeah. I so wanted to be with the other Black women. On one hand, it's very healing to be in community with other Black women who are just so intelligent and strong and just beautiful in their own right. And I wanted to be in that space, but I had to be sensitive to my own system. And then talking about Black motherhood, I really sat with, oh my goodness, 
that's that's a, a trauma trigger for me. There, there was a lot of trauma as a result of my own Black mother and my journey to being a mother. And so even though I, I've raised my, my daughter, who is my, my bonus daughter, and I love her dearly, there was trauma associated with that as well. And so, and I've not ever talked about these things, but it is important to talk about it. And I know I'm not the only one that's been impacted in the ways that I've been impacted. Before we get into your infertility journey, and you'll speak to so many other women and Black women, especially with that, let's just talk about just briefly, because we talked a lot about it in our first conversation, but with your own mother, um, you've really spent your entire life trying to heal that mother wound, the abandonment from the abuse. She wasn't there for you when you were sexually abused, all of those things. I know one of the questions that I asked you in our first interview is about forgiveness. And you said in that interview, something that affected, no, I don't think healing is forgiveness is needed. Forgiveness is needed for healing. But you've since kind of had a new revelation on that for your own mother. Would you, do you feel comfortable sharing that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't remember our original conversation regarding this. I'm sure that whatever I said was super profound, but I, I can't remember it. But, you know, in writing what children remember, I was so sure that I didn't have to forgive. Mm. And I wrote from a, from a healed place. Like, I, <laughs> how could you write a book like that and not, right? And, and, and so I had lots of compassion for her and, you know, and not seeing her as a one-dimensional type of a person. Um, and... Now, thinking about the topic of forgiveness, maybe a month or two ago, I was sitting and, and just meditating. And what, what occurred to me is that, one, I needed to be able to really drop down into my own system and see what are the areas of my life that where I had you know been kind of holding resentments against myself for certain things and areas that I needed to forgive myself. And then as I thought about things, I said, you know, we are all capable of hurting each other. And when I look at the things that I have done to other people intentionally and unintentionally, I have to admit that there have been times when I have injured another person and I got to forgive myself for that and understand that at that, at that time, had I known better in that moment and, and felt empowered to do better, I would have. Mm-hmm. And as I think about her, I think, okay, and this is a hard, hard truth for me to even repeat. When I think about what I know about her journey, as I understand it, she didn't have it within her to be any other kind of a person Mm -hmm. than the person that she is today. As I reflect on her life, I just said, you know what? I have to forgive her because she was she was hurt and and then she went on to hurt others. I have been hurt and there are times when I have also hurt others. And when I look at her from that perspective, I can forgive. Hmm. But I have to be able to see her as deeply imperfect, deeply imperfect just as I am deeply imperfect. This does not mean 
that you will ever hear me like make excuses and okay the abuse. None of it was okay. But when I look at her from a lens of she is as deeply imperfect as I am, Lord knows that in my 42 years, I have said and done things that I wish I could take back. I have thought things that I wish I didn't think. I have had to go to my daughter and apologize for certain things that I didn't know at the time when I parented her when she was younger. Were they as horrible as what I experienced? No, but harm was still committed, right? Harm was still done. And if I can just drop down a little bit and just see my mother, she's as human as I am. I can forgive her because I've been able to forgive myself. So powerful, Tasha. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, and therein lies the power of, of putting the work in for therapy, for your own healing, for finding your own worth, all of those things that your own mother, the woman that gave birth to you did not do and why she hurt you so, so deeply and others, because she had none of that healing for that trauma in her life, none of it. And that's what it looks like when we have zero healing for the trauma through the generations. Andrea, that, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because this is what I always tell my clients when we, when, when we, you know, therapy is kind of a buzz word right now, the millennials, they're all in therapy and they're making it, it's very trendy. It's all over TikTok and Instagram. Everybody is a thought leader right now. Everybody mm-hmm. is a, is a coach. Everybody knows something about fucking mental health and they're talking about it. Like, right. but, but. But when you're really in therapy, it's so hard. Mm. And one of the things that makes it really difficult, this is what I say to my, to my new clients, it's that you're the person that's healing from potentially like generations mm. of trauma. You're the person finally in your long line, your, you know, not your parents, not your grandparents, not your great grandparents. You're the person that's healing. And when you're around people that aren't in therapy, that's not doing their work to heal from the same shit or, or their own shit, am I allowed to curse or should I say stuff? You can say shit and fuck and whatever you want, Tasha. It's a new podcast. Every year it gets a little better, <laughs> a little more real. <laughs> And so I tell clients, and I think this is not my thought. I think it comes from a book that I'm, that I'm reading. You know, when we say, oh, well, so-and-so should have known better. So-and-so should have, you know, I wouldn't have done that if I were them. That's not really true because if you had grown up with the parents that this other person grew up with, Mm -hmm. if you had had the same upbringing, the same environment, the same trauma, the same brain you would make the same decisions. So we can never say, well, if I was this person, I would do something different. No, if you were that person, you would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. is a very hard truth. I mean, I was tearing up thinking about that because we've had that conversation even when you've talked to me and we're, we're going off a little bit more than I planned on this, Tasha, but I think it's just important for people to hear. You know, you've talked to me about my mother's, issues, my grandmother, yeah. my great grandma, and how that ripples. And it's like, both you and I are, are women that have worked to heal, but we still hurt our daughters a lot. Yeah. But we were doing the best we could with the level of healing that we had. Yeah. 
And when, and, and we, myself and other IFS therapists, we call this a dropping down when you drop Mm. down into your system and you really think about that truth, I can have compassion for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it all right. Not as an adult, not as a wife, not as a friend, we don't get it all right. We do the best we can with what we know in the moment. And Andre, what better example of that than, than both of us leaving the evangelical world, knowing in the moment we believed certain things then, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's what we had in our toolbox. We had the word of God. We had what we had been taught about, about God and, and, and the Trinity and um, the Holy spirit and, and Jesus and, and, and God and all of that. And, 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 and so we had these beliefs and then we get older and we get new experiences and life changes. And so as I look back, I can have compassion for myself, for that young, ignorant <laughs> woman who just believed everybody needs to have a church home. Mm-hmm. You need to go to church. And, and, and I went through a period of like really kind of, you know, preaching that that you had to have a church home and raise your kids in the church. Damn it. You got to raise your kids Mm -hmm. in the church. If nothing else, you have to, you got to go to church. Mm -hmm. And now I can look back at myself and say, I didn't know. I didn't know what I know now. And we keep growing and we keep learning. And so that's how I see this forgiveness journey. First, I had to, really look at ways in which I had not forgiven myself for so many things. And that unforgiveness showed in the way that I treated my body, the way that I, the energy that I had. And when I say energy, how I showed up in different spaces and in front of certain people, I really had to just question certain things, just my belief. There was a lot of unforgiveness, things that I just had been holding resentments against myself. Mm. Oh, I should have done this better. I should be smarter. I should be more successful. I should be this. I should be that. What if I practiced really loving myself Mm. and understanding myself a little bit more, being a little bit more patient, sometimes even patting myself on the back and saying, girl, you're doing a good job. Look at you. Look at all you've survived. Look at and as moms, it's so hard to do that. It is. And I'm guessing as Black mothers, it's twice as hard, if not more, in this world that shames Blackness, doesn't say Blackness matters, all of those things. So I'm coming from a white mom's perspective where I have so much regret in how I raised my daughter. So I know you're speaking to Black mothers with this that just feel like, Even um, in being a Black mom, being raised by an abuser, there are certain things that I had to unlearn raising my daughter and raising her with with some yelling, (laughs) with putting her on punishment, spankings, lots of spankings, or in the Black household, we call them whoopings. And now being a therapist and being healed and realizing she didn't really need all that. She didn't need all of that. And where did that, that beating, that harshness, where did that come from? Yeah, Mark, we talked yeah. about that in one just with like black parents. And that was the expectations of whiteness. Like 
That was the kids. Yeah. Of why Get your kid in order. Be them. Do it yeah. in front of us so we know that you're yeah. keeping him lying. Yeah. And it was a safety thing, right? Mm -hmm. It was a safety mm -hmm. thing for our ancestors. Yes. Let me beat my kid so that you don't. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. And that just morphed into other things. And a part of my journey is saying, wow, that was wrong. And going back to my daughter and saying, girl, <laughs> if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have done any of that. Because she just needed love mm -hmm. and understanding, still parenting, still holding her accountable for certain things. But it didn't have to come with the degree of harshness that it came with in the beginning. And it's only to your degree of, of healing that you can realize that. Yes. At least in my own life, I'm feeling feeling like that, that I can now realize those things that I once thought we're okay or normal or just how we do it. It also mm. makes me think about when, when my daughter would wear certain things when she was in middle school and high school. And let's say if it was a little bit short. In my mind, that was like, you're looking a certain way, you're looking for attention or, or people are going to have the wrong impression of you. Or why is that so tight? Or why is that so short? When she's just wanting to wear the things that are in style and the, the things that make her feel good and confident. And then black women being so highly sexualized, you have yes. that in your mind and you're like, no, no, yes. no, we, we, we don't want them to get the wrong idea. And for black women, we couldn't have our little girls wear a lip gloss or wear their hair down mm -hmm. or, or can't show any little bit of cleavage because what if, what if some man looks at you? What if somebody's lusting after you? What if they get the wrong impression? What if they think that you're a hoe or, you know, or whatever the case is, or that you're easy and, and that's because our bodies have been weaponized. Yeah. And that stereotype of the Jezebel or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That comes from white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And so a part of my own growth is really unlearning all of that. Unlearning and, and looking at ways in which anti-Blackness is instilled in me and impacts my ability to parent and how I show up. For years, I wouldn't wear things that didn't cover my arms. I wore cardigans all the time and jackets all the time. Because in the churches that I grew up in, women, you weren't showing your arms. You couldn't wear tank tops and stuff out in public. Say that again with the anti-Blackness, because I think we've talked about that before, but I think that's just so powerful for even Black moms to realize that yeah. within them, as as non-white supremacists, I think they are that still. Yeah. I mean, it's in all of us, but... Even yes. in black moms. Anti-blackness is in all of us. It shows up in the way that we judge each other, mm -hmm. in the way that we look at our bodies, in the way that we parent, how, how we represent ourselves in the workplace, how we look at each, each other. And I mean, it choose relationships and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It shows up in every way. Who's safe and who's not? What neighborhoods are the best? Which ones are dangerous? Which foods are bad foods? Which ones are, are good foods? It's anti-Blackness impacts everything. Which schools are good? Which schools are not good? I mean, it's all based in white supremacy. And so a part of my healing journey is looking at in what ways have I been impacted by my own anti-Blackness? I've always loved being Black. I love, I feel so honored to be a Black woman. But anti-Blackness is still in me because racism has impacted my life, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's an ancestral thing. What are you doing intentionally as you raise your own daughter? I know making a lot of mistakes and now she is, how old is she? 19, 20? She's 20? 21. 21. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
intentionally now, as, I mean, you've raised her, but as you continue to mother her, mm-hmm. what are you intentionally doing not to instill that anti-Blackness or to make sure that is not in her to carry on to the next generation? Um, it is a, a whole lot of asking for forgiveness, a whole lot of, of me looking at what errors did I make before and repairing those things today. It's a lot of questioning certain, certain beliefs, as I said before, on how she represents herself. She's into tattoos. She's got a number of tattoos right now. Um, and and saying it's okay because the the fear before was well what are people going to say how are they going to judge you art how are you going to get a job what are what are people going to think and but by and large white people are able to reach their level of success with or without tattoos whether they color their hair what color that you know they can do all all kinds of things mm-hmm. and still reach the level of success that they want to reach and i want my daughter to have that same freedom I don't ever want her to live a life that's impacted or based off of the approval of white people and, and have her think that she, she needs to live for the approval of society. She's free to make her mistakes. She's free to do all the things that she wants to do because that's what freedom looks like. And that's Mm. a freedom that my ancestors didn't have. And it could be as yeah. simple as, you know, thinking about college and, and me just saying, you know, you get to do whatever you want to do. You get to make your own decisions and we don't worry about, well, okay, well, well how will you be per- perceived as a black girl? Yeah. No, you have to live your life. And that's such yeah. a, such a hard point to get to as a mom. I mean, I'm a white mom and, you know, I'm struggling with it because white supremacy is embedded in all of us, in my, in my upbringing, in my own upbringing yeah. and how I'm raising my child. I mean, why was it so hard for me to let my child shave her head? You yeah. know, why? because that's not what whiteness, white heteronormative world tells us is, is the ideal for success and pleasing everybody. I mean, it's, it's, so I think that's such a powerful Powerful point you have with all of that, Tasha. And I, I know you're speaking to a lot of moms and black moms, especially with that. Yeah. And and I also had to question in raising her. I felt this was this was really empowering years ago when she first went off to college. And I said to her, I said, you know, for, for your lot whole life, I have managed your life. I'm no longer managing you. I have given you everything that you need and more. So I'm going to switch roles and I'm no longer going to be managing your every, you know, decision and what you do and how you do. I'm going to go from manager to consultant. Now I'm here if you need me. Okay. I'm here if you need me. Um, I'm here to support you, but you got to make your own decisions good, bad, or indifferent, they're yours. And you're going to learn from them because you're really the only one that's going to be impacted by them. Mm-hmm. So I'm here to be your consultant. Now, when I give her advice, it's like, you know, well, you know, I'll listen. And I'm like, mm-hmm. even if I don't agree, <laughs> but I'm like, oh, you know, just a recommendation. You know, have you thought about this? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And to me, again, I feel like that's what healing our family line looks like. 
is girl, you get to have agency over your body. You get to make your own decisions and know that you are infinitely loved no matter what, that nobody's going to harm you, that we're going to do our best to protect you, that we are for you no matter what. You have nothing to fear. I mean, the amount of healing as, as you're saying that, and I'm just imagining if you would have been told that from your own mom, but the amount of healing for you to be able to say that to your daughter from one generation to the next, I mean, I'm trying to think of the word. I mean, it's just incredible, Tasha. It really is. I mean, and that just, again, shows a life like yours that you have committed to doing the work of healing, healing the trauma, healing the wounds. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I had to question you know, in, in parenting, in parenting her, what is it that I am, am I raising her to be a miniature version of me? Am I raising her to be who I always wanted to be if I were her? (laughs) What is my motivation in, in the things that I say to her? Am I in, am I kind of instilling the fear that's in me into her? Because she has to live her own life. She's going to have her own fears. I don't need to give her mine. I don't need to hand her my shit. Life is going to do a number on her. She's got to live her own life and go through her own pain, her Mm -hmm. own stuff. So so can I mind my business? I feel like you're preaching to me, Tasha. I'm totally not. not. I'm preaching to myself. I know you're not, but you're just, I know. But it's like, God, it is such, it's, it's complete truth. And, and I think so many moms can, can relate to that and need yeah. to hear that. Yeah. So Tasha, let's, as you mentioned, you have the one daughter, she's your bonus daughter, mm-hmm. but you would have loved to have more children. And this yeah, is a so- part of your story that you haven't talked about. And I know it's hard to talk about. So where do you want to start with this? There was some stuff that I had wrote down in my journal a while back, and I wanted to see if um, it's something that I wanted to share. Okay. Can you repeat what you just said? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. So like you said, Tasha, you have, we just talked about your, your one bonus daughter. Um, it's 21. You would have loved to have more children, but, but you don't. And so that's another part of your story, but one that we haven't talked about and that you haven't openly talked about because your life is also a lot of the last years of your life have been spent trying to heal from that. So I'm going to let you where you want to start with that, because I know this is a hard, hard topic. Yeah. So, so I've been married twice in my first marriage. We were in relationship for four years, almost four years, married for six months of those. It was, it was short. It was quick. Should it should have never happened, but we were young and we both learned from, from our mistakes. And I remember in that marriage, in that relationship, I never wanted to be um, a mom. And I would always say, if I were to get pregnant, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the baby. I would have an abortion. And then I, we divorced and I got remarried uh, to my husband, Chris. And then I wanted to be a mom. And he had a daughter already. And so I became her mom. So instead of we in our family, we don't like the word stepmom. She has always, even before I was ready, she has always called me mom. Mm-hmm. 
before he and I were together, I was babysitting her and she called me mama. Mm -hmm. He and I were not even dating yet. And she called me mama and it scared the shit out of me. And so she chose at a very young age to call me that. And then I began to see myself as, wow, can I really be somebody's mom? Because I didn't feel good enough. I felt like I was, that in order to be a mom, I needed to come with certain things that I needed to have a family and a healthy upbringing and to be free from trauma. Because I didn't want my trauma impacting her. And and I just didn't want to hurt her in the ways that I had been hurt. That was my greatest fear is this little girl. She was so precious. She was so precious. And looking at her and I just thought, I don't want to hurt her because I don't know what it's like to be loved. I have no idea. I had not been loved in the ways that I needed. And so (sighs) raising her was, was difficult because she also has a biological mom that loves her and they're close. And so she would sometimes share, um, she would go and stay with her mom her biological mom. And then that would trigger like abandonment for me and not feeling good enough and wanting my own children. I wanted my own babies that wouldn't go away. And it's not because I didn't want her to spend time with her mother. It was just the re-traumatization of growing up and being taken away from the only mother that I knew and, and having to move, you know, multiple times and, and feeling alone, it brought up that, that feeling abandoned, being abandoned and feeling alone. And I was alone for the majority of my childhood. And it just re-triggered those experiences of parenting her re-triggered all of that. And we, my husband and I, we tried for 10 long years to have a baby. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw, you know, the reproductive endocrinologist more than one, uh, a number of them. We didn't actually do the IVF, but we, the medications that I was on was the IVF dosage of medicine, but we didn't actually do the egg retrieval and, and all of that. And so almost every part of trying to have a baby we had experienced and, and that 10 year journey ended in me having a hysterectomy, but and, and I had a lot of resentment, Andrea. I'm raising this, this, I'm raising, I'm raising my, my bonus daughter and I don't get to have my own. I wanted my own that couldn't, that didn't have to go away. That wouldn't be taken away. I wanted my own that looked like me, that had my features, my physical features. Um, I wanted my own that I could carry in my belly and, and, and read to them and talk to them and make our own early memories. And that just didn't happen. It wasn't, it wasn't for me to go that route, I guess. Uh, it just didn't happen. And, and there's no excuse. There's no, there's no reason for it. It's just, I struggled with infertility. Uh, one in seven women do. And from what I read, black women are, are twice as likely as white women, twice to as it, which I am yeah. shocked. Mar- Marcy brought that up to me too. And I, is that the trauma in your bodies? I mean, what I, I'm not asking like for like is. that you're a doctor and can say, but I'm curious yeah. as a therapist, what, what you make of that. 
I, I think that that is part of the burden of being, being a black person, mm-hmm. because we do have so much trauma in our bodies. It's why we do lead in heart attack and stroke and, you know, diabetes and, and all the different things that trauma lives in us. It's in our DNA and all of the stress it's in our DNA. And you know, well, from your reading, how much trauma happened to black women and black bodies. And the black reproductive system. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that just stood out to me when Letty talked like, my God, these, these, these women's reproductive system has been through the most excruciating, horrific trauma. So why wouldn't we see the ramifications of that through the generations? Yeah. And, and so I did feel like there, there were times when I thought early in my journey that I was being punished because I felt like I was being punished as a child, that God was punishing me. I felt like I went through that phase of, of feeling like, oh, you know, maybe this is a result of, of all of the abuse, the sexual and the physical abuse. But I don't know, because there are women that are sexually abused and physically abused, and they go on to have babies. So I, I can't, there's no way to explain why did I have fibroids? Why did I have endometriosis? Why did I have cervical polyps? Why did I have dysplasia? It's like all the things. And I just, I don't know. I have no. And we want, I want to reiterate that mm-hmm. it's not a punishment because I think so many faiths yeah. can say that like, oh, you had an abortion and now you're infertile. So, I mean, that's your punishment yeah. or, oh, you were, you know, had sex before marriage or you were too promiscuous or you're sexually abused. Like that is such, I think, a line that we get from so many churches and religious organizations. And that needs to be heard that God is not reciprocal like that and punishing. It's the hardest thing to make sense of really the infertility of like, and I'm sure you've questioned, but I mean, I'm speaking for you. Like, why was your mom allowed to have children? Why did God say that was okay? And then you being a healed person, an amazing black mother that wants a baby so bad, can't have one. Yeah. I mean, all of those thoughts, everything that you're saying came up. And so often I blamed myself Mm. that I'm not good enough, that I'm not deserving. And all of it was lies. Like I was, I'm just as, I mean, even today, I'm just as as deserving to be a mom as, as anybody else. There is no reason the body does what it does. And some of us are able to, to have children and some of us aren't. And some of us have to struggle a little bit. And some of us uh, go through miscarriage. And and I had one miscarriage. There's no rationale. There's there's nothing that explains it except for the, the diagnosis, fibroids, endometriosis, and all the other stuff that I listed. Those and were we, the reasons. Yeah, and we try to explain it, especially when we're in the yeah. church. Because I remember even, I don't even know if you knew this, before Mary, there was I had four miscarriages and was on fertility medication. But yes, I mean, I take that religious lens and I'm like, I must've done something wrong or maybe I'm just not even supposed to have. No, that's not, that's, I don't think that's not how God works. And it's, uh, it is as a woman, especially in the church, you're expected to be a mother, have children, be fruitful and multiply. And that is such a harmful statement to women. It is a harmful statement. And again, and it's based in white supremacy and patriarchy. So right. So that, that, that if you're a woman, your vagina, your body is for this specific purpose to bring forth life, to be a helpmate to your husband. 
And so I felt like a failure in not being able to, to give birth to my own child, you know, to be fruit, fruitful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and multiply in that very specific way. And now I know that I absolutely have been fruitful and I have multiplied and I am a mother still. And being a mother is, is in me. And how do I mother? Well, I mother in the way that, and I think I'm a damn good mother um, to my daughter, but I've mothered so many others. I counted a great joy when people that I supervised in the military or mentored in the military still think about things that I said to them in ways that I was there Mm -hmm. for them. I think about the ways that I have mothered my daughter's friends who still come to our house. And up until this year, because they all turned 21 and 22, they were all still getting really good, big Christmas presents from me every single year. (laughs) And I decided, you know what? Y'all are real grown right now. So I'm going to be done with this whole Christmas thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think about, I've mothered so many people just loving and being tender and caring for others. And I think about what you've given birth to Tasha, right? Not a human, but you've given birth to one, your book. You've given birth to freedom for yourself and so many. Yeah. You've given birth to healing for yourself and so many. I mean, and I don't want to be saying these things as like, see, everything works out for as a good for those who believe and trust in him. But, um, Gosh, where did that come from? <laughs> oh, I'm quoting scripture and I didn't even know I still had that in me. Okay. It's still in us. I quoted one the other day and you were like, I don't know where that is. Yeah, it's still in us. But um, that is not what we're saying with this or what I mean to convey. But I do think, God, we can't put saying, putting your worth and your value as a woman in what human you're giving birth to. It's, it's so much more than that. As much as you are open and willing to talk about your trauma and your history, like you said earlier, this topic is one that you just haven't spoken about because it's, it's so painful. And especially, at least from what I've read, that in Black communities, this is even more of a taboo topic. So maybe speak into that, but also to other Black women who may be in the same shoes that they feel like they're alone in this. Because I'm guessing they must, you must feel alone if it's a taboo topic. Yeah, it's. First of all, it feels like every damn thing is a taboo topic in the Black community. We don't talk mm. about shit, which is part of the reason why in a lot of families, we're not free yet. How can you be free if you can't be honest and more specifically honest about your pain? Because that's how safety and trust is built. That's where healing starts. That's where healing originates is in the ability to name our pain. And so the topic of infertility Again, in the Black Christian spaces, it's the mothers of the church who are the most honored and adored, Mm -hmm. the most respected. And then other women in the church kind of patterning themselves after the mothers in the church. It's the matriarchs of the family that, that leave a void. When they're gone, it's like families kind of split up. It's like, this is the epitome of what it means to be a woman, to be a mom. And if you don't learn from them and even aspire to be them, become them, then who are you if you're not trying to have a baby? Because in all the people that I know, the thing that 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 we ask women more often than not, do you have any children? And if you don't have any children, do you want any children? 
We always want women to want to have children. And so not being able to do that is a, is a source can be a source of shame. And it really is a barrier. It really impacts our ability to see ourselves and to, to know that we can have joy. We can have an amazing life childless and that we're whole, whether we have children or not, it really impacts our ability when we kind of see ourselves from one perspective. And so a part of decolonizing is knowing that my personhood, my womanhood isn't based off my ability to bear a child. Oh, wait. And then as a black woman in our ancestral line, having children meant like they were, they were property. It was somebody else's commodity. Somebody else was going to build their wealth off of our ability to procreate. Well, I'm worthy. I'm valuable, whether I can procreate or not. And I say that thinking about my ancestors who didn't have the right to say that, who had to, to build large families to make money um, because those children worked in the fields and they made somebody else money. There's all these things tied to reasons why people needed children for money, for benefit, for status, all these things. None of it came from, you know, God saying this, this is the way it was supposed to be. You know, white supremacy defined all of that for us, our roles for us. And the worth of a black woman was her ability how many kids she could produce. Hopefully that it was, was 19, 19 or 25. Yes. What I mean, and so it is like yes. a, another what, pillar of white supremacy that put it's that a, value on black yes. women. That, that was, that mm-hmm. was where our worth came from. Mm-hmm. And so when you asked me earlier, like in what ways am I kind of doing that work now, looking at like anti-blackness, that's one of the ways is realizing where did this pressure to become a mom come from? Mm-hmm. When you're black, it comes, a lot of it comes from white supremacy. It's not just about the being fruitful and multiplying. Why was it important to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply? Yeah. Who's going to benefit from that? And then, well, we don't have to get this, but in my mind is just racing with the history of then once black people are free and they can't sell those children, then that's when the yeah. whole eugenics and the whole hysterectomy is enforced on black women. Yeah. It's like, White supremacy has tried to control the reproductive systems of Black women since the beginning of this country. And then the shame, I think, like you just said, the shame of why it is a taboo topic in in the Black community, especially. And talking about it is what breaks that shame. Talking about it is what breaks that shame. And, And I think it's important for us to really redefine who we are and who we want to be. Do I want a child? And I really had to ask myself this. Do I want a child because I just really want a child or do I want a child because I feel like my husband would be disappointed if I didn't have one? Do I want a child because I want to fit in with all the other moms in my neighborhood and church and and community, you know, because they're all moms and then I'm not. So is it a, a thing that is motherhood, this thing that's like, this is what you need to do to fit in. You know, there's this belonging. If you're a mom, then, then you get to go to, to mops and you get to, to talk about all of your childhood developmental markers. My child is in the 90th percentile for their, mm-hmm. their weight and their height. And so much of that is built in wanting to belong. That's where that shame sets in is I don't have what everybody else has and I feel bad about it. I want to be like them. And so for me, when that was, when that was taken away, my ability to birth my own child was taken away. Then I had to grapple with, am 
I enough for me? Mm. Am I good enough for me? And instead of looking for belonging from outside sources, can I belong to myself within myself? So that that gave you almost and forced you into another level of healing, really? Absolutely. It had to. Mm -hmm. It ushered this whole other journey of me finding belonging within myself and saying to my younger, I always go back to younger Tasha and saying to her, baby girl, you are good enough. And saying to younger Tasha, you don't have to prove yourself or keep striving for belonging for that girl that wanted to be in the in crowd, Mm -hmm. that wanted to be seen and noticed and approved. Motherhood is not a marker of whether you've made it in life. I think there's so many women that need to hear that, Tasha. And I know just hearing you talk reminds me of one of your most recent posts on social media where you were telling people rest in your embodied worth because you were recently told that. So clearly it's not something that, oh, I'm healed and I'm good. Like that is a daily, a daily something that you have to keep telling yourself and healing from because the whole world is telling us we are not enough and we are not worthy enough as we are. You hit the nail on the head. The whole world is telling us that we're not good enough for a whole lot of reasons that we're not good enough. And a part of my healing, well, and and first of all, let me just say that I will be healing until the day I die because I've got deep trauma, right? I've got lots and lots of trauma. And so it's not this one-time message of, oh, now I know my my embodied worth. I'm good. I have to keep reminding myself of that. And I I, I keep having to attend to younger Tasha and saying, you were born enough. There is no job, no education, no neighborhood, no material item, no next book or next podcast that will make you more worthy or cement your worth. You were born worthy. You were born loved. You were born belonging. You belong in any space that you're in and want to be in, you belong. Nothing and no one determines that. Nothing and no one determines my belonging. And how many children of you have had or haven't had makes you no more or less worthy yeah. or children you have given birth to? Yeah. And, and it's okay to feel the pain of infertility. Name that it hurts every month when that menstrual cycle comes. Every month when that negative pregnancy test. I had 10 years of that disappointment. Gotcha. And it's okay to normalize it, it hurt. It's one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Going each month, getting the test with the, you know, getting all my labs done, um, getting the pelvic ultrasound, sitting in the waiting room with all the pregnant women, seeing their, their big bellies. And I would be in Target sometimes and I'd see a mom in the, you know, in the baby aisles and, and I'd say, oh, I wish that was me. It's okay for me to feel that pain. None of this stuff that I'm saying is going to take away that pain. Yes, it hurt, but also they're not more worthy of being a mom than I am. Right. Just as good. And my inability to have a, a child biologically does not take away the fact that I am a mom and I'm good enough. I'm a woman. I'm good enough. And just because you might always have that longing or that yeah. sadness doesn't mean you're not healing. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And while that is my struggle, I'm also aware that other people have other struggles. Mm-hmm. They, be, because being a parent does not take away 
it doesn't solve the work you, you of, of your other issues. If anything, it highlights everything. It magnifies <laughs> everything. And, and so I'm also aware of that. But here's the other thing, Andrea, is now, at least in this season of my life, when I feel, and, and I got to be honest, that pain of motherhood, it's a lot less these days because my daughter is 21. And so we're building a different relationship and then I've got other stuff going on. And so I've done a lot of the healing as far as the infertility is concerned. And I've got new roles and everything that, that I'm fulfilling in my life. But, but when that pain does come in my meditation, Tom, there's a Buddhist prayer or a Buddhist meditation that's called Tan Glen. And it's where you breathe in your own pain and you really feel it, feel that compassion for yourself, feel how hard everything is, how much it hurts. And then you can breathe out compassion and healing for everybody Mm -hmm. that's experiencing what you're experiencing. So now when I think about myself, I'm not just sitting in my own pain and misery and shame and loneliness of infertility, but I'm also really manifesting, really putting to mind every woman that's like me Black woman, brown woman, white woman, woman who is unable to have a child, who's had a miscarriage, who who suffered, you know, infant loss or infertility. And I'm able to send her healing energy and joy and love and all the things that I needed. Security, belonging, healthy relationships, you know, all kinds of healing because I've been there. And so I see it as the more that I heal, I'm also wanting this community of women who share my pain to also be healed. And if you don't talk about it, you don't even know that you're not in this alone. Yeah. And so many women, so many women go through this. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. You're not alone. Okay, Tasha, we're going to wrap up in the next five-ish minutes. So I have one more little area we're going to talk about. I do want to thank you for sharing all that. I know I know that it's hard because you haven't spoken about it. So again, for you not to speak about something, it's, it's, it's raw and real and hard. Absolutely. So I just want to thank you for being just so courageous and vulnerable and putting that part of your story out there. And I know you're going to speak to women that also haven't talked about it or feel like they're alone. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So the next and last thing we're going to just touch upon, we're going to talk about book club a little bit. I didn't even tell you this. Thank you for just going along with me. Tasha Mm -hmm. gets none of these questions because that's how I just do it. I just wing it as we go here. (laughs) But what I wanted to say before we talk about book clubs. So last year for your birthday, I think it was when you came here and we went to that, I don't even know, loosely called resort place. (laughs) That's a whole other, but the, the shirt that you had on said, my God is a black woman. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that shirt. And ironically, the book club that we're doing is called God is a black woman. So I just want to know, because for you to wear a shirt like that and think of God as your mother, you've had to do obviously a lot of healing. So talk a little bit about that, where you're at the place. Do you just envision God as a woman, as a mother? Have you always thought that, or has that just been part of your journey also? I think that's, that's been part of my journey because, Mm -hmm. um, when I was attending church regularly and, and believing the things that I used to believe in my imagination, God was a big man, white man, probably probably a white bearded man or something sitting on some big, huge throne, like Abraham Lincoln in the um, Lincoln Memorial in DC or something. I don't know. 
I mean, I have no idea, but the image in my imagination, when I used to think about God, it was definitely a man high up, literally sitting in a chair. Come on. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because that is what we were told to believe. The white supremacist God of all. Yes. That Mm -hmm. this big God is sitting on the throne watching all this whole shit show going on in the world. And I was actually in an airport when I first saw that shirt that my God is a black woman and a black woman was wearing it. And I immediately ordered it. I was like, where can I get that shirt? And that's been a part of my own healing is being able to see God as energy and the energy of a black woman. She's not a black woman sitting on a throne. She's a black woman just with this energy all over the world and in all of us and moving in and out of all of us. And so when I do, I, there are times when I still imagine God as a man and I can sometimes even catch myself referring to God as a man. I no longer, and, and then I have to say, oh, no, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of undo it's that. It's part of the healing like you said, the healing, but also freedom and liberation Yeah, from that white supremacy, that white Jesus, that white God patriarchal faith that we have felt like we're under for all of our life. I mean, I know just even calling God, she, instead of he in the last few years has been like a big step for me because that's never what we're taught. I remember making a post about God being non-binary. And even in in her book, Christina Cleveland says, and I told you that if God is a black woman, she's a trans black woman. So get ready for it because you haven't read the book yet, but I know you're going to love it. And I know people that, that join the book club are, are, this book is going to speak to them. I just know that. On the good days, it helps me to see God as a black woman, because I know that in seeing God as a black woman and even what a beautiful image to see God as non-binary. I envision a God that is for me, mm-hmm. that truly is protecting me, that has my best interest at heart, that has nothing but victory and blessings in my future. Black people are protective. Like we, <laughs> we're community minded. You know, if we could, would just want to heal the whole world. And, and I often don't see white people in the same way, especially white men. I don't think of white men as being for me, mm-hmm. being compassionate towards my needs and wanting to protect me. No, far from it. Quite the opposite. Right. Even white women, the history of white yeah. women with even, black women. Even, How could you yeah. look at that? Yeah. Be- because the, the reality is, and this is, this is my opinion. This is in the Tasha Bible, Tasha Bible, chapter one, verse three. Okay. Let's say. I don't believe that there is any major atrocity that's happened in the world to brown people, to black people, to Asians, to Native Americans, to the Hispanic community, to black people, if white women didn't co-sign on that. Mm -hmm. There's no way that any of that could have happened without white women making it safe for white men to do the things that they have done. Now, that's just in the Tasha Bible. But it's pretty true. 
I think it'd so, be in Letty's Bible also, the historian yeah. Letty. Yeah. So when it comes to white folk, I can't see God, Jesus, my guardian angels as being white because the reality of it is that every day we see the harm committed in this world and harm because of white supremacy and patriarchy. And so I can't see God as white, knowing how much harm has been done by white people. And that's, that's what we hope in, in this book club and by reading this book and talking about all of this is, is we, we dive into all of that and decolonizing it. And I just want people to know everybody is welcome to join us. We'll put information with the link. We'll put information again with the link for your book all the things, Tasha. Do you have any final words? I don't. I just hope that my story will encourage others to live in your embodied worth and to remember who you are. And if you don't have a therapist, reach out to me. I can help you find a therapist that can help you walk through this healing journey of infertility and infant loss even secondary infertility. Um, so many women struggle with having one, but then not being able to have another. Um, whatever your journey is, if you need assistance, reach out to me mm -hmm. um, on Instagram or even email. And I can um, send you uh, a list of, of therapists that I would recommend. Okay. And where can folks find you on Instagram and what's your website? All that information, Tasha. So my Instagram handle is Tasha Hunter LCSW, or they can go to my private practice website, which is ascensiongrowthcenter.com. But yeah, however you communicate with okay. me would be fine. Okay. And we'll put links to all of that. Thank you, Tasha, for sharing today, just your heart and your story. I love you. Oh, I love you too. that Tasha and I lead, there's still time to join. Our first meeting is Monday evening, March 28th. Then we meet two more Mondays in April. You can email me at herstoryspeakspodcast at gmail.com for more info and to sign up.